Hello, and welcome to the Foot School Podcast. I'm Andy Brummage. I'm recording this at my home in Branford. Like all of you, we're social distancing to help stop the spread of coronavirus. These are unusual times for Foot School, to say the least, but we're lucky to have two fantastic guides to help us navigate these uncharted waters. School counselor Kasuth Bradford and Foot's consulting pediatric psychiatrist, Dr. Michael Kaplan, held a webinar on April 15th about emotional well-being in uncertain times. The two give tips and perspective about supporting children, feelings of loss or anxiety, dealing with sibling conflict, and how to maintain a spirit of joy and goodwill during this time. Here's their talk. Good evening, Foot community. Thank you for joining us. I am Kasuth Radford, a school counselor, and I'm, enjoy- I'm joined by Michael Kaplan, our consulting psychiatrist. The plan for this evening is for Michael and I to share uh, our thoughts and some strategies on how we can support our students, our families, and ourselves during this pandemic. Afterwards, we will answer any questions that you might have. And with that, Michael, would you like to begin? Sure, welcome everybody. Uh, it's an odd thing to be at foot school and not to see faces except for Kasuths, um, <clears throat> even though you're nice to look at. Um, but uh, I, I um, uh, um, appreciate in advance everyone dealing with these um, technical issues that we have, and hopefully it will run smoothly for everybody. Um, we will be, um, Kasuth and I, the structure of this is we really want this to be a community event, not about Kasuth and myself. We each have some words we'd like to share to start the discussion but we're also aware that you are all looking forward to being able to come together as a community and, and share and talk, get some help from us and get some help from each other. Um, and I think that's a really important part of this evening. Uh, so the format will be, I'm gonna speak a little bit, Kasuth is gonna speak a little bit, and then we're gonna open it up. Um, as you know, we're gonna, the, the way we'll do this is we'll have you um, ask questions through the chat, uh, and then Beth Mello will be um, collecting the questions and then she'll be asking them of us and we will do our best uh, to answer them. Um, so so um, if anyone has any questions about that, you can certainly ask as well. So you know, these are unprecedented times, and I don't have to tell you that. Um, anything I tell you, um, you probably already know, but I think it's worth um, talking about how hard it is. I mean, I have three points um, that I, I wanna make in about five minutes. One is how hard this is. Two, to talk about how are you doing and how are you doing with yourself? And are you taking care of yourself? And then the third um, topic will be, how do we help our kids? Because um, to me, those are like the three ways in which I've been thinking about this and the ways in which I thought I could be most helpful um, to us uh, this evening. Um, because I wish I could say the last time there was a pandemic, this is what worked. Or the last time we had this kind of situation, this is what worked. I think what we're all going through collectively um, is a very new situation, a crisis um, that is um, really testing and taxing all of us. Um, every day, every minute, uh, every day we wake up, um, every time we're considering anything that we do, it's really the virus is really, so as a metaphor, has really affected us in every way that we're thinking. I think if we spent the day writing down and had a clicker every time we thought about the way in which our life is different, um, we'd be clicking all day long. Every thought, every action, every emotion, every decision, every strategy, every thought plan, um, thinking about the past, the present, the future, it, it's having a big effect. And, and we, we, um, we have to acknowledge that first. Um, and it's very hard. Um, and it's especially hard uh, uh, on, on, on parenting right now. Obviously, we're talking in a, in a school format. But it's very hard 
um, and it's a shared collective hardness. Um, what I think is important is that we have to um, acknowledge the grief and loss that's going on, all the things that we have lost. And we could spend the whole time talking about all the losses, the grieving, but I think it's important to be aware of that, to not brush that under the rug, uh, and to be aware of, of, of what we've been enduring and the kinds of the ways in which we think you know, we're a school, we think about the future, we think about learning, we think about joy, we think about celebrating, we think about teaching. You know, everything is so future-oriented and present-oriented, and all those things in so many fundamental ways have been altered. Um, however, I would say that what makes this unusual is that we're all in the same boat. Um, the virus, um, the COVID has been affecting everybody. Um, I don't think there's been a time, in, uh, especially for this long, where we've all been affected by the same thing. Um, now, obviously, we're affected in different ways. We're struggling with it in different ways. There are so many iterations of families in our community. There's so many iterations of jobs. Um, there are people who have loved ones that they can't see, uh, parents struggling, uh, people struggling with jobs, people trying to keep their jobs, people uh, very a lot of insecurity. Um, and, and that's a collective grief that we're sharing. Um, and so, but I think that on the one hand, we have, a, we have this grief, on the other hand, we're in it together, and I think one thing that we'll talk about is how to bridge those gaps that are created by the fact that we can't really see each other. Um, so moving on to um, how are you doing and how are you taking care of yourself, I think that's a critical part of what we need to think about tonight. I think parenting is a hard business full stop. Uh, it's made only more difficult by what we're going through. And what typically happens with parents is that we take care of everyone else but ourselves. Um, and our kids come first. And I think it's very important to take a step back and think, how am I taking care of myself? And to recognize what we're going through because it is a tall order of what we're going through and what's being asked of us. So the normal things that we could be experiencing, things like sadness, hopelessness, grief, panic, fear, sadness, um, uh, all of those kinds of things plus more are all typical emotions that we'd be experiencing in this type of crisis, this type of trauma. How are we experiencing these kinds of emotions? Well, it's coming out in all kinds of ways. I mean, who, I really wish we could see everyone and have a, a show of hands. How many people are feeling exhausted and tired and you can't focus uh, and you're not sleeping well um, and the days are kind of blurring together. There's a loss of that week, weekend um, separation. Um, how many of you are putting plans on hold, goals, uh, aspirations, canceled um, or, or um, uh, you know, or put on hold. Um, so in so many ways that we are experiencing these things um, and sort of our relationships are being affected, you know, how we are dealing with our partners and our families and our jobs, all of those things, um, you know, I think it would, uh, it, it's not a person who isn't felt at least some of those things, some of the time, if not all of the time. Um, and what are the things that we're doing? You know, we still have to do our day jobs if we have our day jobs or worry about the job that we're not doing right now. We're doing homeschooling, we're keeping house, we're keeping calm, we're keeping vigilant, we're worrying about our hygiene and our children's hygiene, uh, we're washing our hands, uh, we're keeping six feet away. Oh, a week ago now we all started wearing wet masks. Um, the key thing here is it's not a time to beat yourself up. Um, we need to give up on the notion of the perfect parent or even the half-baked parent or the imperfect parent. We really have to be kind to ourselves in order to help our children, in order to get get through this. Um, so in terms of our children, um, how do we think about our children? How do we think about helping our children? Well, I think a key thing uh, is being present for them, 
what do they want? They really want our attention and they want us to listen. Now, obviously, if we're home working with them, that's a lot more listening and attention than we bargained for. Um, but we have to be aware of what they're anxious about. A typical question that gets asked of someone like me is, how do I answer this question? How do I answer that question? Uh, we'll talk about that. Um, the key way to start with that, and we'll repeat this, is you need to assess what they know. So don't take everything at face value. Don't take every question that they ask is just they have um, a huge background in the question. They may use words that they don't really know. The best way to answer a question that you don't know the answer to is to ask them, what do they mean by that? What, where is that? Where did you hear that? Where is that coming from? Tell me what you're thinking. The idea here is to get them to talk so that you know what they're thinking. It's also clear um, to process your own anxiety about the questions that they're asking, and also not to dismiss their fears, um, because they're scared and we're scared, and we're all going to struggle through this together in trying to help them. Um, and like I always say in all the talks I give at Fed School, uh, you don't have to have all the answers. Don't feel like you have to be an expert. Remember, this is a time where you can say to them, let's look that up. Let's figure that out. Um, we're not experts. Most of us are not scientists. Most of us are getting information from all the same places. Um, so I think it's very important, again, think about yourself, think about what you know, take care of yourself. Um, don't feel like you have to be uh, the perfect parent. Um, we'll talk about screen time later. I'll leave that maybe to Kasuth to talk about, and I'm sure parents will have that uh, as questions. But I want to focus on how do we take care of ourselves and how do we take care of our children? Um, I know a lot of you have probably been reading about that. I certainly have a lot of resources in Kasuth as well, and we'd be more than happy to post those at the end. Um, there's been an outpouring of really wonderful writing about children. Um, as a child psychiatrist and someone who thinks deeply about children, I've been very impressed with the literature out there um, coming through ma you know, many different sources about how to think about our children, um, and we'll share those with you at the end. Um, I think that um, what I want to end with in these you know, brief comments um, is that my key parenting advice, again, is to listen to what they have to say, to validate what they say, and to show them your love, both in your words and in your deeds. This is a time for extra hugs, uh, for extra lap time, for extra snuggle time, um, you know, whenever it is throughout the day, but listen, validate, and love. And the last piece uh, of advice uh, and counsel I want to give you is about being gentle. I mean, this is a type of gentleness to yourself, to your family, to your children, to those around you, and to our community. Um, I think we all feel strengthened by how hard everyone is working. I mean, just on a personal level, I'm impressed with how hard people, the effort our, our teachers are putting into teaching your children, the administrators are into keeping the school running, into the grocery um, people, to the people who are in the hospital, um, to the people who are supporting the people in the hospital, to people helping those in need. Um, I think, again, uh, it's hard to think about civil linings, but I think those are ways in which we can come together and we can think about how what we're learning from this experience. And I found, and I'm interested to hear what you found in terms of civil linings, uh, because I think we need to balance what's not going well with what is going well. Um, so with that, uh, I'll turn it over to Kasuth and uh, see what he has to say. Thank you, Michael. Um, I, I would just want to start off um, with saying first that with all the, the strategies and, and um, feedback or, or thoughts that we share, both Michael and I, and I, I think I can speak for Michael here, um, we share it with great humility. Um, we recognize um, it's easier said than done. Um, and especially during uh, this time that, that you know, Michael is, is so eloquently shared about what we're navigating, what we're dealing with. So 
Uh, we just want to make that really clear as we share uh, this information. Um, I want to go back to, to what Michael spoke about in terms of the grief and loss that we're experiencing. Um, and he mentioned some of the stages of grief and, um, you know, denial, sadness, anger, bartering, acceptance. Uh, they just recently added a, a sixth stage uh, meaning. And it's so important to remember, it, it's not linear. It's not a linear experience. You're not going to just go from one to the next to the next and suddenly be done with it once you reach acceptance. Um, it's circular. Uh, one day you might feel a certain level of acceptance. The next day you might be angry again. Um, same, the same goes for your children or your spouse or whoever it may be that you're interacting with. Um, and, and I can't emphasize that enough because um, this is a, a, such a unique experience. And I think I've noticed myself, there's some days I feel like I'm in good shape and I, I got a good understanding of what's going on or I got a good feel for how I'm navigating. And then a moment later, I'm super frustrated with myself. Um, I, I think of um, one day during the first week of, the, of this distant learning experience. And uh, I wanna say it was maybe like Thursday, I was feeling pretty good because, you know, my wife and I had figured out the technology piece and Violet was focused and doing her thing. And then I suddenly remembered that uh, I had to get a couple of emails out and I started to kind of panic a little bit. And from that panic, I went to a place of anger and suddenly I was mad at Michelle. And I remember thinking like, this is ridiculous. Why am I splitting time with her? My job is more important. I got more urgency to it. And, um, and I had to kind of sit with this for a second and, and kind of process what I was going through. And, and ironically, while I was thinking about it, while I was processing it, I remembered that literally like 20 minutes ago, she'd come to me and been like, hey, Sue, do you want me to take Violet and, and do the homework? And I remember being like, no, 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 I got it. You go paint, um, you know, I, I can do this. And, and it just, you know, after I thought about it, I had to chuckle a little bit because I think it just speaks to um, the various ranges of emotions that we go minute to minute during this, this experience. Um, and, and, you know, as we talk about this idea with our children or our spouses, I think it's really important that we give them permission. And I think for, for me, I think making sure I give my, my children permission to experience this grief. And as we know, children are going to express it and communicate it in a different way. But acknowledging just because they don't say I'm grieving or I'm sad or I'm scared, often it's used through their behaviors, recognizing that they're also going through this grief process. Um, you know, it, it's... Um, I think in our culture, we have a tendency to uh, minimize our grief or our experience and say, oh, you know, other people have it worse or I should be thankful for all that I have. And that is all true. And you're also going through a really um, unique and you know, difficult experience that you're experiencing your own losses um, and, and your own grief. And so being allowed to do that, I think is, is um, so important. And that doesn't mean that once again, we're not recognizing that there, there are things to be grateful for. That doesn't mean we're not recognizing that there's a silver lining in this. That doesn't mean we're not recognizing that there's meaning to this or there can be meaning that can be found. Um, it just means that you know, we're dealing with some real difficult personal losses and it would be really beneficial to process them. Um, one thing I wanna also say in terms of that grief is I would also add trauma to this. Um, some people are, are, are going through some significantly traumatic experiences, depending on the, you know, the health of their family members, depending on their job, um, depending on their finances. Um, there's, 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 there's trauma being experienced as well. And I think that also needs to be recognized um, in, in that sense of, of how you interact or what someone might be experiencing who you're interacting with and not necessarily being familiar with all that they're going through. 
um, and, and recognizing as a result of this grief and loss and, and, you know, Michael spoke about just the kind of anxiety and fear that we're experiencing, recognizing that, you know, um, there's increased activity in our amygdalas. Um, that means that, you know, our fight or flight and freeze response um, is, is being triggered more. Um, we know when we're in that state of fight, flight, or freeze, our memory is, is uh, our short-term memory is compromised, our learning is compromised, our ability to obtain information is compromised. So I think recognizing that as well, once again, with our children, with ourselves, with our spouse, uh, with our colleagues, um, that we're all kind of uh, experiencing these things. Um, and, I, and, I, and I want to make it clear, I don't say these things to scare us or to overwhelm us, uh, but just to put the expectations that we have for ourselves and we have for our children and our, for, for our colleagues in perspective. Um, you know, we're navigating something that's quite foreign to most, if not all of us. Um, you know, Michael also mentioned this idea of, and maybe, I don't know if you did, Michael mentioned it, but I know I read it in your notes, this idea of being kind to ourselves. And, and I can't emphasize that enough, um, that idea of self-compassion. Um, it, it's just so important because we're doing our best under really difficult circumstances. I know everyone's trying as hard as they can. Um, and it's unlikely, as Michael said, that any of us are gonna be functioning um, and exhibiting the same level of competency that we were before this all occurred. And I think we have to be understanding about that and patient with ourselves and compassionate about that. Um, and that could be in our parenting, that's in our, in our, our professional life, that's in our relationships. Um, it's all uh, somewhat compromised as a result of what we're going through. Um, and, you know, and then the question is, should we try to reach that level of competency? Maybe, I'm more inclined to go with um, good enough, especially during this time. But if you feel like you have to reach that level because you know, your job demands it or your child is suffering, I, I would really recommend that you hold that self-compassion really tight while you're striving to get there. Um, Michael spoke about strategies. Um, and and I, 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 I know he said it, but I just wanna emphasize it again. This idea of hugs, more hugs, more kisses, more physical contact, um, it really helps ground children um, I think it helps them, I think it also helps balance the times that we're a little bit more impatient and we maybe raise our voice a little bit more or we express a little bit more uh, disappointment with their behaviors, which I know I as a parent have engaged in more than I care to admit. And so giving those extra hugs and those extra kisses um, really go a long way uh, during this time. Um, I think another piece that's super important with our kids right now is recognizing their accomplishments. Um, you know, you might hear, look at me, look at me a little bit more right now. And, and remembering and realizing that at school, they really get a lot of acknowledgement around their accomplishments from their peers, from their homeroom teacher, from their special teachers, um, from their school counselor. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, it, they're going to look for that. They're going to need that. Um, and so, you know, sometimes you might be like, oh, really, do you really, do I really want to need to look at you again. But I think right now um, we do. We do need to look again and, and not false praise because they'll pick it up. Um, it's got to be authentic enthusiasm um, with what they're doing. But I, I think this is a time where um, we really have to be cognizant of that and, and, um, and make sure that we're providing that. Um, let's see. Another tool that I think is really important is the mood meter. Um, I, don't, I think it's perfect for what we're dealing with. I don't think there could be uh, really, to be honest with you, a better tool to help us with recognizing our feelings. And 
Um, and, that's, and that's something that I think as a family that we all need to do, as, as we've said. Um, it was pretty cool this morning. Um, I did the movie meter with Violet and it was kind of interesting because she made it a couple weeks ago and we've been a little inconsistent doing it. And this morning when we went to it, I had, uh, you know, she told me to, to, to plot myself first. And uh, I went towards worried, or I think worried and uneasy. And, um, and she looked over and then she kind of went to worried uneasy as well. And I was like, yeah, I have to get this presentation tonight. I'm a little anxious about it, but you know, I'm gonna prepare for it. And she's like, yeah, you know, I'm feeling a little uneasy about all the work we have and, and catching up. And it was just such a really nice moment that I knew she needed permission to say that she was worried or, 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 or uh, unsettled. And uh, then we were able to talk about what to do about it, you know, and hers was like, I got to do my work. I got to start my work and get it done. And I was like, I got to go prepare and, and uh, get myself together. So, um, you know, I feel comfortable when, when it all begins. Um, and, and in fact, I mean, we're hoping in terms of the, the mood meter and the ruler, I think most of our students have been exposed to it and some are more familiar with it than others. But um, the ruler team is, is planning to try to uh, share with you all, with all the parents, uh, what it looks like and, and give a little presentation, basically, I think like a 20 or 30 minute presentation to you all. So hopefully we'll be able to do that in the near future. Um, another thing that I think would be valuable at this time and something that we just started um, is family meetings. Um, it's just a nice time to be able to come together and uh, be able to process what's going on. I mean, I think sometimes we do that, but maybe some, it's in spurts, maybe with one kid and not the other kid or if you have more than one child, but um, maybe parents are talking about it, but don't think, ah, oh, the kids, you know, they seem fine. We don't need to, to go there with them and stress them out. But I feel like with the children, I'm, I'm starting to realize they're processing and experiencing more without using words to share it. Um, and so I think that, that family meeting is just a, um, a nice space um, to um, uh, just kind of see where folks are at and uh, hear some feedback about um, you know, how the week is, is going. And obviously that, that's going to change from week to week. And what I found with talking to a lot of parents and, and seeing a lot of different kids over the couple of weeks is that some kids love it in, this, in the house and some really don't like it or not love it or say, oh, this is probably kind of cool. It's interesting. It's different. I don't have to worry about certain things that stress me out of school. And some are really struggling with it. So just in your own home, it's interesting to see how um, kids are experiencing it. And I just want to say two more things and then um, and we can open up to, to questions or if Michael wants to add anything. Um, and I think those two things would be really, one is this idea of uh, assuming goodwill. Um, and, you know, as a result of all the stuff that we've been talking about, the, the, the trauma, the loss, the grief, it's just so important that we assume goodwill and, and assume that people have good intentions with the people that we're interacting with. Um, because once again, we're all doing our best. And, and, I, and I mean that in terms of your interactions with your child, your colleague, your boss, your spouse, um, your child's teacher, a parent, an administrator. Um, you know, pause maybe a, a little bit and wait a couple minutes before sending that email or picking up the phone. Um, that doesn't mean that you don't communicate your needs or provide honest feedback. Um, we need that, we welcome that. Um, if we're going to improve, there's, there's no question. Um, but I would just say envelop that feedback in the assumption of goodwill. Because once again, everyone is really trying their best and, and, um, and trying super hard. So um, that's just something that, that I feel like um, just to keep on the forefront. And I think we all know that we're more likely to get our needs met and be heard if that goodwill is felt by the individual um, who you're interacting with. 
Um, and I know we're doing this in the community. I just encourage us to continue it and to increase it. Uh, the second thing that I, I just want to share before I, I um, close up is this idea of that sixth stage of grief and meaning um, as a continuation of Michael's point of, of kind of appealing to, to um, children's altruism. And I don't know if he mentioned it, but I know he had in his notes um, this idea of kind of with your child figuring out, hey, how do we do, what can we do positive? I know, I know you did mention that, Michael. What can we do that's positive around this? Um, can, we, can we call elderly people who are alone and, and don't have anyone to talk to or whatever it may be, or put up a sign? I know people putting signs in their windows and rainbows and things of that nature. Um, and in that vein, I was reading an article yesterday and the person said that um, he wanted to make a vow to regarding his best intention, how he, how he could have um, his, his best intentions or the most noble aspiration during this time. Um, uh, and his was related to kindness. And I was thinking, all right, I'm gonna try to do compassion because I found that I can be um, very compassionate with people I work with in the community, but not so compassionate with myself and with my family. And so it was pretty nice this morning. I was like, all right, I really focus on do compassion, keep it on my forefront all day. And I, in my interaction with my youngest daughter, who's been, it's been a little more tumultuous over the last few days, was so different um, when I just kept going back to compassion, compassion. When she was doing something that was frustrating me or I was about to go someplace that I didn't want to go. And it didn't mean that we didn't have our arguments. It didn't mean we didn't, you know, we didn't have a nice meltdown at the end of the day. But even when I went to her after, during that meltdown, my engagement was far different than her, uh, than, was far different than it has been in the past. And her response was, was far better and quicker to kind of get out of it and move on. And so um, it's something that, that I encourage us to just think about. Um, I'm really excited about this idea of how I can be more compassionate myself during this process and how I can be more compassionate with my family. Um, and if I'm able to leave this, you know, when this pandemic ends, if, if that's something that I'm better at, um, you know, what a gift. Um, so that would be, um, I think the last that I have to say, and I don't know, Michael, if you want to add anything or, um, well, I think that was great. Cause Susan, I think it's, um, be great to hear from everyone <clears throat> to see what's on their mind. We really want to know what's on your minds and how we can help you with that. Great. So I'll, um, offer up some questions here and feel free to add your own questions to the, um, Q and A chat box. Um, my child seems really tired. And as a general rule, just tires more easily. Should I be worried about that? No, I think I can, that's a simple answer. Um, we're all tired. I'm tired. I'll say because Susan's probably tired. Mm -hmm. I think that's mm -hmm. part of the understandable, the, the role of trauma and what happens is exhausting, yeah. really exhausting. It seems like we're doing so much less and so much more at the same time. But if you're outside, um, I have the luxury of walking to my office uh, where I don't see anyone except my computer and my patients on the computer. But I was thinking today how many times I'm so conscious of, I have to move around. There are not that many people on Orange Street these days, thank goodness. But if I see someone 100 yards away, I'm already thinking, um, and this is a micro level, like, oh, I've got to walk into the street. Or if someone comes by, I'm, I'm, we're so conscious of our surroundings. That little thing that's big, is draining. You add all like the clicker thing I talked about earlier, all the ways in which we're, I'm thinking about washing my hands and you get something and then how do you take the glove off? How do you open it? Like, where's the contamination? You know, so at every level of our day, um, it's drain, each thing drains us, drains us, drains us. So, and, and little kids don't have the capacities that we do even to think about it. Like I can tell all of you what I went through today 
and I can feel a little bit better and maybe get a little more energy because you're all probably nodding your heads and thinking the same exact thing. But if you're a kid, 5, 10, 15, you're not going to be able to do that. And so, yes, I think they're, they're, all, they're all probably exhausted. And, and I, I totally agree. And I would just add as well to that is it's interesting and it seems counterintuitive, but there's not the same level of stimulation that they get in a school day. And as much as stimulation can be tiring, it can also be energizing. Um, and when you think about how much they do in a day and you think about when you're at work and you're talking to people and you're moving from thing to thing, that's energizing. Um, maybe at the end of the day, you're like, whew, that was a lot. But during the day, um, that can be really uh, uh, something that gives you, uh, you know, that energy and, and, and that a spark. And um, usually at home, you know, we're keeping them entertained, but not at the level that, 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 that they get at school. My child keeps asking about their friends. How can I help them manage that? I, I can jump in on that one, Michael. And it's something that I've been thinking about as well. Um, I've been, first, I would uh, validate and normalize that it is hard not seeing your friends and, and maybe talk a little bit about that, what they miss with their friends, what they miss doing with their friends, who do they miss, um, and, and process that a little bit. And then I would really strongly consider trying to set up um, some some virtual calls and and standing ones we've done a few with our daughter and i realized you know what we need to try to see if we can set up some standing calls like you know once a week on tuesday you're gonna have a call with this friend once a week on thursday you're gonna have a call with this friend and fill that calendar up a little bit more with giving her opportunities to um communicate because that's something that um she's been sharing more but never spoke about and actually uh just today we were doing an activity and they said, um, you know, what's the hardest thing that you've ever dealt with? And she said, uh, distant learning because I miss my friends. I would have never guessed it. So um, it, I think it's super normal and setting up those virtual calls, I think on a consistent standing basis, I think would be valuable. And for younger children, you could also have them write letters, you know, do drawings, turn it into a project, turn it into an activity that'll take up some time during your day, but also give them some sense of engagement, productivity, the whole act of like addressing the envelope and putting the stamp on and putting the mail. Um, uh, and then just think how that child will feel when they get that letter. You know, we don't use the U.S. Postal Service so much anymore for those kinds of things. I think that's another way besides the virtual, I think the written, um, maybe they can cut something out of a magazine or make a collage or do something and, and share it with their friends. And then they can then show it to them online. And, you know, so, so things like that, I think, might be a good way to get your, your, your child sort of engaged and connected with their friends. My girl wants to see her grandmother. I also want to see my mother more. However, I'm trying to protect her from, from both myself and my daughter and trying to keep, keep our a distance. How do we balance that? Any suggestions? Yeah, well, that's really hard. I, I, I would start, I would first, again, I think the key word, take home word is validate, you know, and you can validate your experience. I think that's a time when it's okay to share an adult feeling. Like I feel really bad that I can't see grandma it's really tough because I miss her and I can't, you know, that's a chance to share all of your feelings about grandma and get your, your daughter to talk about what she likes about grandma. But you have to make important decisions. And I think your child will come to see, like we have to keep everybody safe. And depending upon the age of your child, like that's the degree to which you can share information, but say they're a very young child, you say, you know, there's this germ out there and we don't want to, you know, grandma's safe where she is and we want her to be safe and we want to be able to see her. How else can we, then I would engage your child and a lot of this is engaged. You don't have to come with every answer. Like that's so exhausting and so burdensome to feel like it's all on you. 
like you have a living human being there who happens to be very smart and precious, then what can we do? We can't see grandma. What ideas do you have? And then try and generate some ideas. Yeah. You. And that, yeah, I would just add also kind of helping her understand what a great, um, you know, what, what a sacrifice. And, and, and the reason you all, are, you all are making that sacrifice is for the safety and the health of grandmother who is a little bit more um, vulnerable and you don't have to necessarily go into that, but you can just say older people, you know, with this whole coronavirus process are a little bit more vulnerable to, um, you know, when getting it and, and what a, you know, great, uh, um, not nobleness, but, but, but a great act that you're able to kind of recognize that and, and, and we're all able to recognize that and um, do, you know, not do something that we want to do so desperately, which is to connect with our, with someone we love. Yeah, and if you're a young child, you can turn into a superpower. I, I vote for turning everything into a superpower in children <laughs> these days. Sacrifice is a superpower. It's actually a, a teaching I, lesson, right? Your, you. your superpower is sacrifice. We're sad. And we can think of all the things we're sacrificing. Because like, right. it really is, you know, it's not just a gimmick, but it really is. Like, yeah. we're all right. doing all these heroic things every single day. Um, right. And I think your children can feel good to try and turn it, there's pain in it and acknowledge the pain, but also say, well, this is a thing that we're going to do. And, it's going to make us feel good because we're really keeping grandma safe. We're struggling with sibling conflict with two parents working and trying to balance schooling. How do we help them from fighting each other? We're so busy. We can't usually separate them. Our kids are in kindergarten and preschool. Ooh. Ooh. That's a bad, uh. <laughs> you want to try to tackle, tackle that one first? I, got, you, I was looking at you. Your kids are younger than mine. No, um, fair enough. No, I, fair I, enough. That is probably the hardest question, um, yeah. Is, yeah. is sibling. And then, you know, people live in different size houses, right? So there are some people who have like two room apartments um, and it gets really intense. So you can't really even separate them, you know, because obviously separation is a great thing. I think, um, you know, so, so part of it is just acknowledging to yourself that this is gonna happen. Mm -hmm. And that to actually feel good, like you can keep a meter of how many fights they had each day if the count goes down, you know, you're in a good place. So I think one thing is just stepping back and realizing you're not going to stop every fight, that there's going to be a lot more conflict. Now, I know obviously as they're fighting, it's harder to do your work um, and the work that you have to do to stay and keep your job. Um, I think some more talking, I think some maybe some more ground rules. I think, um, you know, the old thing, are we going to time out you or the toy? Um, I think is also a good thing and, and it depends on what they're arguing over, but that toy can have a lot of value. Um, I think maybe turning things into visual, especially with young children, they like things that are visual. So if they're fighting over a toy or something, you can, you know, uh, you know, get a I think timers are key. So if you have, you know, egg timers, um, things that are very um, concrete for them. Um, and so give them a, you have the toy for this time, you have it for that time. Um, separating them, I think, is a, a really uh, good action. And then finding other activities to try and get them engaged. Um, there's not a lot of appealing to their higher selves at that yeah. age. You know, I think if you have 10 and eight year olds, you can kind of sort of say, look what mom and dad are doing. You know, we have this, um, these things to do. Um, uh, so I don't, Kasuth, do you want to keep going? Yeah, this? yeah, I can jump in. I, I would go with um, bribery. Um, and obviously I'm being a little, you know, silly, but positive reinforcement and, and rewards, right? If, if try to, try to, if you can, um, identify how many these kind of interactions are having and say, hey, if you guys could cut that down from five or eight to four, 
um, you get a reward of some sort and they can identify and obviously it doesn't have to be a big, big present or anything of that nature. But I, I, I'm a believer in that idea of focusing on when they're doing it, you know, catching them do it, doing it well or being good. Um, and so really trying to flip it in that, in that, from that perspective. And I think, you know, even the preschooler can appreciate what a reward does and, and what that means um, and, and really focusing on it from that perspective. And the other thing that um, it reminds me of like turning things into competition. So, yeah. you know, when you're cleaning up the room, the trick of like, oh, let's you can clean up faster. Yeah, that's like, right. That's right. Daddy's going to get it faster than you. And then, mm-hmm. you know, so four and five year olds kind of like that winning. Yes. Um, so if you can somehow turn it into a little bit of, you know, again, not like, you know, a big win, but like who can stop fighting first or who can give up the toy first or who can do this, you know, who can stop yelling first or who can if, go. If you guys can get it down to- from, go on, sorry who can go more quietly to their corner of the room. So Mm -hmm. I think both the positive reinforcement, bribery um, and and competition are, that's sort of appealing to where they are. You can't appeal to their prefrontal cortex because unfortunately it's not developed enough. Uh, You can't kind of plead with them, look, mom has to work, dad has to work, can't you be quiet, can't you see, we're struggling. They will never be empathic (laughs) to to what we're doing in that moment. You know, sometimes they they do have capacity for empathy, but I think appealing to where they are developmentally. You were going to say something else, Kasu? No, no, I was going to say that I, I love the competition piece because it can go so nicely hand in hand with the reward. I bet you guys can't get it down to four. And then when they do get it to four, you can provide that reward. So you can, you know, meld those two strategies together pretty smoothly. What can we do to help our young teenagers deal with the loss of certain activities, such as sports, field trips, and other foot traditions? I mean, what I once again validate it, um, acknowledge how angering and disappointing it is, and, and unfair. I would say, um, and and with that, trying to figure out is there anything that is possible? Is there is there is there um, a way to, uh, to not reenact it? But is there is there anything that we can do? that still marks these, these experiences or these moments. And I know that's something that um, we've all thought about as an as a institution of, is there anything that can be um, done around field day or May day or how it could be recognized? And I, I don't, I know I'm not gonna get ahead of myself and say we figure anything out, but perhaps there's something um, they themselves can even think about around mm-hmm. how, to, how to mark those yeah. Experiences and, and moments, but I, I think, think that's, really validating. Yeah, again, that notion of trying to again, they throw this at you, and all of a sudden you're fought with like a horrible lot because it is to lose those things is horrible. Like we have to admit that. Like if mm-hmm. there's no field day or, or or you know or May Day or any of the traditions, graduation, you know, I'm not like because what is this? What makes a school community right? What makes a powerful school community? I've always been a big believer in traditions really create uh, a loving community. Um, and one in which unites people across time and space, right? Like everyone's had May Day and, you know, you know, what was your dance and what was your dance? And when I was in fourth grade, I was in fifth grade, right? So, so acknowledging that and, and saying, yeah, you're mad too about it. Um, but I like what Kasu started to say, which is like, well, what can we do? What do you think? What, can we write a letter? Like, what would you write? Can you write a letter? Like, what would be your idea? Like, how do we deal with this? Because I'm kind of at a loss with what to do about these kinds of things too. Um, and, and I think that, it's, that those, are, those are really hard. Those are some of the harder things uh, for them to, for at their age. You know, in our perspective, maybe like, oh, it's one field day, one 
you know, one May Day, but or one graduation, but it is for them. That's where they live. Like that is who they are. Um, uh, what about screen time? Isn't there such a thing as too much? How do we know how much is appropriate? I, yeah, and I, I can start with that. Um, I think you have to go by your child and it's so individualistic for each child. I think you really have to closely monitor um, what you're seeing, uh, what they're, how they're presenting pre-screen, pre post-screen, um, during, the, during the time. If you're, if, you're if you're seeing behaviors or presentation during uh, post-screen, because that's what I, I go to a lot, I see that with my own daughter post-screen, um, just exa exhausted, moody, irritable. Um, I think then there's, there's a time to say to reflect and talk with your husband or your spouse or your partner um, and say, hey, uh, or your child, depending on how old they are, I'm noticing this, this, and this. And we, maybe we have to pull back because right now you're ready on it a lot due to school and your, your academic experience. And I know this is a space that, you know, you connect with your friends and it's a, it's a space for release and relaxation. But at the same time, we're noticing things that are, are of concern because of how you're presenting um, afterwards or um, during the time you're on it. But it's so individual uh, with, with, with each child. It's hard to, to give a concrete uh, you know, number to, to how long one should be on it. And they're gonna be on it much more, right? Obviously, they already are. I mean, the, the percentage of their day on screens, not just academically, but for entertainment um, value is gonna be way up. Um, but I think the thing to think of is, is I would reframe the question is what, what else can we be doing besides screen time? Yeah. So in addition to how much, but like, what are the activities, um, yeah. what activities and engagement again, like we're going to, cause it's a nag thing, right? You're just going to, we, we all do it. Like, what are you doing on your computer? What are you doing on your computer? What are you, um, but we can maybe turn that around just a little bit to say, okay, you'll be on your computer a lot, kind of taken by surprise. You have more screen time. Like that's a deal. Like no, we're not even negotiating. You don't have to negotiate. You got more, but we're also going to think about what else are we going to be doing? Um, and I bet we all have those board games. Uh, and this is on us then. And we have to engage. Like, at, obviously, at times they need to be on screens because we have lots of things we have to do. Um, but card games, we all we probably all read that article that jigsaw puzzles. There's like no more jigsaw puzzles. Um, and all kinds of things that you think would be fun that they can have fun with inside the house, out in, in the yard, um, you know, things inside the house, crafts, baking cooking, meal planning, you know, there's a lot of, you can make a whole wheel of things that they can see visually are, yeah. that they're also doing. And they could show you, because I think sometimes we fall in the trap of thinking they're only on the screen. Sometimes they are only on the screen, but sometimes they've actually done lots of other things. Um, and, uh, and then we're kind of surprised um, because I know I make that error all the time. Like you see a child on the screen or the Xbox, you think that's all they've done all day. Um, but, but get them to talk about it too. And, and I think to that point, I think when we think of screen time, there's a few things, and then I guess it depends on your child as well, or you as parents, what your primary concern around that is. I know um, having a middle, middle school daughter, for me, that screen time worries is uh, what kind of message is she getting? What kind of images is she seeing? How is it impacting her, set, her body image? How is it impacting her self-esteem? And so I'm extra conscious of trying to find articles that speak to that or videos that speak to that. So once again, to that point that Michael was saying, finding a balance, or I am really much more uh, explicit about, hey, exactly, when you're not on the screen, we need to go for a walk, or you need to be doing more drawing in your art book, if that, you know, and I've been seeing that, not, you know, making her do certain hobbies, but your interest, engaging in those a little bit more, so there's more of a balance. 
around, um, not just being on screens, but engaging in those other things that stimulate them, interest them, and you know, give them a, a, a sense of accomplishment. How would you answer the question, will we be going back to school in September? I, ask ask Miss Mello. <laughs> I mean, I think oh. I would say it's like so many things and say, I, I can't answer that. And, and I know that's frustrating and I know that's infuriating probably, but right now there's just too much unknown and it's not even in Mrs. Miles's hand, really. You can say this is up to the, the mayor, the governor. Um, and we, we, I, I, there's no way of knowing at this point. I like to think that we would, but I by I, I no means would promise you that because this is something so unique and, and unknown to us. Um, sadly enough, anything's possible in terms of how long this is, uh, stays, is, is present or not. So, you know, that, that'd be kind of my thought around that. But Michael? Right, no, I, I agree. And especially with the older children, you can be more frank and say, like, I really hope so. But look around us, um, we're really waiting. Uh, and it's hard to feel so helpless in this decision because school is something we count on. Um, and we really depend upon, we were realizing how important school, and we kind of knew before, but it's really clear now, how important school is in all of our lives for so many different things. It's not just learning facts, but it's about your whole person and body. Um, and say that, uh, and I agree with Kasuth, that it's unfortunately sort of out of everybody's hands. But I would say everyone is working really hard to make sure school can open. Like the right. adults are trying. Everyone yeah. wants school to open. And all the things we're doing, like we're quarantining, we're washing. You have a role and we all have a role yeah. to play. The more that everyone can play in their tiny little way in their own little home. That's right. Because you see people wearing masks. You know, only one person's doing the shopping. We rarely go out anymore. Like we're all doing our part to make sure that school opens in the fall. Um, That's right. That's right. Uh, so, so that's how I would, I would, and that's especially with the younger child, I would air, you know, go to the side of what can we do to make sure school opens? And they don't know what that means even. So the other, that's back to assess what they know. So if you have a K-1, two-year-old, they, even though it seems like they know what that means, they barely know what May is <laughs> or June 1st is, but they have a concept of it and they hear it. So it's important to address it. So yeah, I know I'm worried about that too. But everyone's working really hard to make sure that happens. Uh, it's not helpful for that K-1, 2, even third grader to be worried, like, to, like, let's focus on what's happening today. Like, what's for dinner? Like, what do they want for dinner? Like, what's the shopping? Like, I try and somehow with the younger children divert it to, because yeah. you're teaching them how to regulate their emotions. It doesn't help me to think about, you know, is school going to be open in the fall today? What helps me now is to think about the next week at the most, you know, because that's about where my mind right now is. Like, you know, earlier I was planning out the rest of the meals and how long can we delay getting food and where we can get our food from. Like, that, those are the concerns that I think are in front of us right now. Yeah, and I, I like that heart, and I don't think we probably said enough about it. That, that sense of mindfulness, and you really do have to take it day by day. And I know myself, even as a grown adult, I have to catch myself when I, when I get too far in the future and be like, all right, because we slow it down. It's day by day. Um, and I think the more we can emphasize that with our kids, uh, the better, because that is really the reality. We, we don't know what tomorrow holds or what it's going to look like. And, and so we don't go crazy and overwhelm ourselves. We really got to keep it um, in, the, in the here and now. My first grader is sucking her thumb again. Should I be worried? No. <laughs> um, is that you're going to possibly. Excuse me? <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um, <laughs> I think you're going to see some regression um, and not, you know, it's not guaranteed, but if you do see some, 
you, we shouldn't be surprised. Um, it's a way of comforting themselves. Um, and right now, kids need a little extra comfort. Um, I, I strongly encourage you not to get upset with, the per with your child and scold them or shame them, but you know, maybe try to identify a little bit what's going on, maybe give them a few extra kisses and hugs and, and get it from that perspective because you know, chances are maybe a, a first grader or kindergartner isn't going to be able to articulate it, but, um, but you know, really trying to be a little bit more nurturing and uh, uh, supportive because I think usually, well, not usually because that is a sign of um, just uh, a need for more safety and familiarity. Yeah, it's totally normal. And other behaviors like bedwetting or wanting your lap more or reverting back to baby talk. I mean, all those things, totally expectable, totally normal. And we'll go back to where they were when these things revert back, hopefully when our, 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 our lives return to, uh, to a new normal. That's what we have for questions. We do have one comment um, that says both presentations were really helpful. Thank you. You're welcome and thank you. I was just thinking your questions, these were really good questions. Yeah. No, it's great. It's great. Thank and, you both. I, and thank you. And I just want to add um, we're available. Uh, you know, I, I'll speak for myself, Michael, but, no, not no. You, Michael, but no, I'm available if anything pops up. You know, obviously, email me, um, call me, let me know if there's any way I can support you or, and provide more strategies or articles. Um, I'm here. So I, I really want to uh, emphasize that. And we want to know what you need. So if there are okay. needs that you feel like we can't anticipate and understand, you know, the teachers have the academics, you know, they're, they're handling that and they're working really hard on that. But, but, you know, we as a school, you know, we're much more than academics, right? This is a school that believes in the whole person, the whole child, uh, emotional intelligence, you know, who they are, not just what they are. Right. Um, and so it can be a little hard to know like I can't even see your faces. <laughs> I have nothing to go on. But um, if there are things where you feel like this is helpful and you'd like to have another one down there, like we, we want to be helpful. So if you feel like there's something that could be addressed, or you know, other formats or other questions or other affinity groups, if there are questions that people didn't feel comfortable asking but want to be asked, because we know right. it can be hard. You know, there's we're also in a very public moment and we're very private people. So so if there are other things that that, that we're missing or you felt we couldn't answer. Or that you felt uncomfortable asking, um, please, please let us know. Thank you very much. We have a couple more comments of appreciation. Um, and let us know if you have interest in other presentations moving forward. Have a good night. Thank you. Thank you. Foot School Podcasts are a production of The Foot School, an independent school for grades K to 9 in New Haven, Connecticut. Subscribe to our podcast and leave us a rating and a review while you're there. It will help other people find our podcast. Find more information at www.footschool.org. Thank you for listening.